Welcome to Coached Soul, a podcast for a better you. Your host, Steve Hudgens, is a licensed professional counselor, and your co-host, Julia Canton, is a therapeutic coach. Together, they discuss various topics, providing a different perspective on life and insight that you are not alone. On a non-emergency basis, you may contact them at area code 918-280-8690 or coachsoul.com to provide them with new topics, feedback, or to request an appearance on the show. And now, here's your host, Steve Hudgens. Julia, as always, it's great to be back. And what a great way to start a new year. I know we talked about New Year's resolutions being stupid, but you know, <laughs> I think that we need to look at goal setting and being able to think about our goals and, and things of that nature. But with a winter, it, it's hard to keep goals. And so I was thinking, what a great way to kind of talk about how to be mindful uh, during this season of winter. Hmm, great idea and great topic, Steve. You know, um, I have to say that I love the idea of mindfulness. And as you know, as far as setting news, New Year's resolutions, I just think it's a, just all right, stupid. But mindfulness. Now, I think that is a prized gift that we give ourselves and we give the world when we incorporate it in our lives. What are some things, you know, while I'm thinking about that? And also, I just want to say it's so good to be back with you, Steve. And it's so wonderful that we're, we've got this new year going. And I look forward to so, so many opportunities to be able to serve with you and our listeners. And just thank you again for bringing me on as a co-host. So with that being said, what are some mindfulness practices or thoughts that um, bring you present. Notice I didn't use the word peace that bring you to a space of presence that you practice. Well, first of all, I think for our listeners, you and I are using some jargon that maybe our listeners are not used to hearing mm. and that's being mm. mindful. So as a therapeutic coach, how would you describe being mindful? Oh, my goodness. Um, and it's also going to depend on what audience I'm speaking to. So I'm going to use very, very general terms. But when generally speaking, when I'm talking about mindfulness, what I am considering is being present in the moment, being aware of what's going on in my body, what's going on in my thoughts um, how I am reacting or not reacting to any given set of circumstance. And it's almost as I'm allowing myself to be washed over or something to wash over me without it allowing it to push me over. I'm aware of what's going on around me, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily need to react to what's going on around me. So that's one practice. And then the other one for mindfulness for me is just this deep, deep sense of acknowledging that I am where I am. And, um, and that that space, no matter what I'm going through, um, is exactly where I need to be to learn what I need to learn in that moment. Um, and so 
um, those those sense of those those present aspects come from the various practices that I incorporate in my life when I'm actually using them. <laughs> As we know, sometimes I have to be reminded. <laughs> you know, when I think about mindful, especially from a therapeutic sense, you know, they they tell us in the school and even continuing education courses that therapists need to be mindful. Yes, yes. It is so easy to take on so much negativity that when we listen to somebody who has PTSD, we have to be mindful of their story because it can cause secondary trauma. Yes, yes. And that secondary and trauma is not necessarily to the client, it's to the therapist, their, their self to, to create this trauma within because of the stories can be so intense. Correct. And I think I think that right there is a, is a great segue, because really what they're stating there, and I remember this going through my grad degree as well, um, is that that mindfulness practice or awareness comes from a state that we're not taking on the stories or wearing them like they're, you know, um, like they are ours, that they are our experience versus our clients. And um, would you agree with that? I would agree. And I think what I'm hearing too is a sense that we need to create healthy emotional boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's part of being mindful. And we're, we're really not taught as kids how to have healthy emotional boundaries. In fact, we get confused as children. We may fall down and scrape our knee and our parents saying, oh, you're okay. Just shake it off. You're okay. But in that mind of that child, it's like, how can I be okay? I'm hurting here. Niagara mm-hmm. Falls is blowing out of my knee of blood and you're saying I'm okay. And the parent is like, okay, it's just a scratch. It's just a little tinkle of a blood, <laughs> not much. But it's the perception of that person. Yes. Yes. That tiny person oftentimes. Yes. Uh-huh. And so they're being mindful. I think about nurturing, being aware of being patient with yourself, being aware of what your body is doing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we go from zero to 60 in our anger, or most people do, I should say, and they're not feeling anything. It's an immediate response. But if we were to slow down our thinking, that's where that mindful comes in. Being aware of how our body feels when we begin to talk to other people. It's just like you go and ask someone out for a date. You get butterflies, you get a little nervous. And so that hits you or you got to take a test and you can feel the anxiety rise in your body of the rapid breathing and the heart beating fast. Being mindful mm-hmm. is being aware of what your body's doing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think we have to pay attention to our emotions. What are our emotions? How do we separate the two? So I think being mindful is being aware of our bodies, emotions, and feelings. But emotional boundaries come into place that we don't take ownership of what's not ours. And even protecting ourselves from ourselves. What do you think? Well, I think I definitely 
have to agree that we uh, being aware of how our body is engaging in any given set of circumstances um, allows us a freedom to make an option to be able to make choices. Um, if we're just running the gamut and um, with and we're out of control, or it's an automatic response that we're going to react in anger or sorrow or fear. Um, there's not a lot of control that's given to us. Um, whereas if we're aware that our body, let's just say we're getting ready to ask this guy out or this girl out, and we're, you know, we're super, super anxious or nervous, you know, are we really anxious or nervous? Or could it be that we're excited for the opportunity? Because oftentimes those can show up exactly the same way and we misinterpret. Um, if we're acting out in fear, is it really fear? Or is it possibly another word of you're just hesitant or unsure, or maybe feel a little bit unprepared? Um, in the English language, we oftentimes get limited to what is it 20 words of emotions, or maybe even less than that? Do you remember that in your grad uh, um, program? I know you're working on your doctorates now. But um, Whereas there is actually a range of what 200 and something words that express the feelings and emotions that we're actually experiencing in our body. We just don't know what those words are. And so by being mindful, we come into this place of awareness where we can actually choose the title or the descriptive of the emotion that we're experiencing. And that gives us ability to make better choices in how we choose to react or not react to any given circumstance. I hope that just made sense. No, I totally agree. And, and when I think about the English language, you're right. We, it, it's the words and we have to be careful. How do we use words? Just like I just said, we have to. <laughs> I used it in the right perception there. I, but when you think about love, I love you. Well, do we put it in the same sense as I love you? Like I love ice cream? <laughs> if you're just, me, you do. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's being aware of our words too, because that impacts other people. You know, when I think about being aware and mindful, and like you said earlier, if I heard you say it correctly, that sometimes we don't have control. Just like a seasonal affective disorder, we're, we're in the winter now, and a seasonal affective disorder, feelings of depression and irritability uh, can take hold. Mm -hmm. And when you think about seasonal affective disorder, uh, it's, it has to do with a lack of sunshine. And the clinic, uh, Cleveland Clinic, people who suffer from SAD have many signs of depression, including sadness, anxiety, irritability, loss of interest in usual activities, inability to concentrate, extreme fatigue or lack of energy. Uh, you know, what's, what's interesting is that when you think about SAD, it's the shorter daylight hours and lack of sunlight in the winter. And it can be linked and has been linked to a biochemical imbalance of the brain. Mm -hmm. So it not only affects us, it affects animals uh, in that. And studies have shown that about 6% of the U.S. population suffers from SAD, while 10 to 20% uh, 
may suffer from a more mild form of just winter blues. So what do you think about seasonal affective disorder and how it can impact us? Well, I, I think that it, one, it's something that I've experienced personally. I, I would think that um, a good number of our population actually at some point has experienced that. Um, what is interesting is, is that um, one, females are more likely to be impacted. And you and I discussed this prior, but um, more likely to uh, be affected by anxiety and depression over a lifespan um, because of our uh, biological makeup um, than males are. Not to say that men don't experience it. It just is more likely to occur in women and uh, reoccurring, for instance, um, you know, our monthly menaces, uh, it's gonna happen when you hit menopause, after you have a baby, these kinds of, sometimes during ovulation. Um, so for females, this can be experienced not just in a seasonal context of, of uh, winter, spring, summer kind of thing, it happens in seasons of life as well, you know, anywhere from a monthly experience on up to seasons of uh, development. And so, um, it's very real. And, and I think that this is the, the idea for connecting this with mindfulness practices, um, that being aware of what's going on in our body, uh, on in our body, and being able to determine that, hey, I'm struggling a little bit right now. I notice that there's something that just does, it just feels a little bit off, and I don't really understand it. Um, I tend, you know, I'm getting angrier or sadder than what I was just this last summer when I was out kayaking. And now all of a sudden I'm indoors all the time and it's around Thanksgiving to Christmas and now the new year. And I'm just, there's something's a little bit different. Those are indicators. Okay. Um, you know, or things are stressing me out in ways that they weren't before. Um, although there may be other contributors and other reasons, these may be indicators that an individual is actually experiencing seasonal uh, depression. And, and it, uh, it is a very brave step to reach out to somebody that you know will be honest with you, that will be present with you and discuss what's going on. Because although it can be worked through, there may be other, a clinical professional may need to get in, be involved and, um, and just so it can be sorted through properly and professionally. So that, that's my thoughts on it. I would love to say that we can all, that we can do it on our own. And, you know, I'm a proponent of holistic healing, um, but there, well, I do encourage individuals to reach out. Try you know, as faith-based people here, it, we were, we were not designed to do it alone. Mm-hmm. We were designed to have a com- sense of community to be social creatures and to be mindful of where we are, sometimes we need to be able to have that outside objective person mm-hmm. that can help guide us, especially yeah. in our conversation, our thought processes. Because a lot of times when we're going through things, how muddled do we get in our mind and our thoughts? And mm-hmm. one of the clients that I suggested to is, you know, journal. I do this with all my clients. I want them to journal because it's a sense of outlet to be able to get 
what I call vomit on the paper or diarrhea mm-hmm. to the brain. You just write it. Don't worry about sitting suction or anything. But as long as you're writing and documenting and just writing, you don't have to do it on paper. If you have prying eyes around the house, there are programs online. Uh, no, it's not the same, but you can type in a journal online that's secure. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're processing, I do it myself. If I if I'm upset, I'll get behind a Word document, not an email, because you can accidentally hit that red button <laughs> and you've got a nuclear war going on, right? So I do a Word document and I type what I need. I'll step away, leave it alone. I'll come back and I'll reread and I'm like, holy cow, Steve, you were pretty upset. And I reread those words to be mindful about where I was and where I'm at now. So I totally agree in being mindful that we need to be present in a moment of how we're dealing with things. And let's say you and I hear that I have a situation in my life that's happening and I talk to you about it. And I come across that Steve is not the norm. He's really upset. He's shutting down. And for that person who's the receiver, it helps them to be mindful that to look past the expression and words that might be used that's coming from the speaker. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times it's easy to get self-defensive. And take things personal. You want to chime in on that one? Well, I think, you know, one of the practices that I uh, incorporate with my clients and it, and I'm sure I was just going to say, and I'm quite sure you do something similar is that I realize that when they're bringing something to me, um, it is, they may say something to me, but it is not directed at me. Okay, and that I'm simply a safe space for them to share what they're sharing. Um, In fact, you know, what's interesting about this conversation is I had a and I'll share just a little personal insight the other day. Um, I was having a conversation with a female friend of mine and all I was doing was needing to have her hold a space for what I was discussing. In other words, I didn't want opinion. I didn't want an, I didn't want insight. I didn't want the problem fixed. I just needed to verbalize what I was feeling and experiencing so I could mentally process it. Sometimes writing it out works for me. Sometimes just speaking it out is, and it um, is the tool is a tool I will use. And, um, and this individual, as soon as our conversation was done, we separated ways. Um, later on, I get this text of her opinions about what I need to be doing instead of what I was saying. And, and at first, I'm going to be honest with you, at first, I was very, very upset. Uh, in fact, I would go as far as to say I was offended because I felt like she had overstepped some boundaries. She didn't mm-hmm. ask me if I wanted these things. She just started throwing them back at me. So I felt judged. I felt threatened. I felt like some trust credits were lost because I um, 
I didn't ask for those things. You know, I didn't ask for the opinion. I just said, will you hold a space for what I need to throw up right now? And, um, and, and so I think that that's a, a, I had to step back, okay, out of the role of Julia, the person, and almost put my clinical hat on, if you will, my therapeutic hat, and, um, and step back and realize that what she was doing is what she does all the time. She's a nurturer, she's a caregiver, she's a mother, and that um, by her doing those things, it wasn't meant to be at me. What she was doing was trying to help me process in the only way that she knew how. And so that allowed me to give some space, if you will, for the fact that she couldn't hold the space for me the way I needed. And, and so I think that coming back to what you were just asking is that um, we, we just have to be aware um, that individuals, um, whether we're having the conversations with them or they're holding the, or they're having conversations with us, that they're just asking us to be aware of where they are. They're not necessarily asking us to fix where they're at. And I don't know if you can pull that back around to what we were talking about, um, but I just thought that that example was so relevant to what we're discussing today because I really had to use some um, some true life um, mindfulness practice in order to see step out of where I was in order to see where she was in order to bring it back to what I needed. Does, does that make sense there? Yeah. And, and the thing that I'm, I'm thinking about here though, Julia, is that you and I are quote unquote trained professionals. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't do this at home, you know, type thing, <laughs> you know, and when I'm hearing what you're saying, we're real, we're real people here, set aside yeah. trained professionals. And it is difficult sometimes as even as a trained professional to be mindful <laughs> and to set those healthy emotional boundaries and confronting that other person say, you know, I know you have the best intentions here, mm-hmm. but I don't really appreciate need right now for you to kind of fix it for me. I just need you just to, to just give me a hug. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and being mindful is tough. It it's be. hard. Yes. It is it a constant a work in progress. Yeah. It has to be a choice. <laughs> and it is a choice. And you know, it's difficult, especially dealing with couples and and dealing with them in therapy that, you know, they have to be, uh, there I go, have to be, they need to be uh, mindful with each other and how they approach, especially if one is dealing with something that is, it seems like a catastrophe and the other is like, ah, we can deal with it. Being mindful is also being empathetic. We need to be able to have empathy and mindful, not only for ourselves but for that other person. Mm-hmm. And when we are proactive, when I think about proactive and reactive, I think about cooking. 
being reactive is trying to put a grease fire out and you're scrambling <laughs> around the kitchen to find something to put that fire out. That's being reactive. Proactive to me is I know where my potholders are. I know where the flower is. I've got a uh, fire extinguisher underneath my, my uh, stovetop. So I'm ready. That's being proactive for anything, but I'm also being mindful that I need to make sure my fire is turned down low. And uh, I, I believe it or not, I did not know eggs can explode. <laughs> I was boiling eggs the other day and I got sidetracked and I hear this kaboom and I go to the kitchen and I'm like, holy cow, I forgot. <laughs> And no, it's not a sign of old age. It's just, I got sidetracked. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying that I was thinking about bringing that up, but Hey, you know, <laughs> I know I had to I had, see, I was being proactive in your response. Yes, yes, yes. And so I was that's being, being very mindful, mindful of mine. <laughs> yes. So we're about out of time and we have to be mindful of our time, you know, as well. And so I hope this has helped our listeners to understand that, being mindful is very important, not only to the other individual that you're working with, but being mindful within your own self. Because a lot of times we can come across as very stern or harsh in our responses because we are feeling overworked. Any closing words, Julia? I would just highly recommend that um, everybody just have some form, a, a toolbox, you know, four or five different things that you can pull on that are mindfulness practices every single day, whether that's an app on your phone that will remind you to breathe, or it is um, a journal that you keep by your bedside for when you wake up or you're getting ready to go to bed. If it's walking meditation and you're out exercising, um, or if it's just calling the, a friend or two that you know that are your lifeline uh, that you know you can safely bounce ideas off of, whatever it may be, um, obviously prayer and meditation are going to be high on my list there, but um, that you have a toolbox that you can draw from in your time of need but they are developed because you're daily investing in that practice so it becomes second nature so that's all i have for our listeners right now and thank you again steve for bringing me back on and i look forward to this new year me too thanks for joining us today we hope to have you back next week until then be safe and be kind Thank you.